would you take your Bible, please, and go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17 this morning. We're going to go to verse 8, pardon, verse 7. As we begin our, our reading this morning, I want to just let you know this sermon will be a little different from our normal, accustomed sermon. Uh, but I think it's the message of the Lord for us, and I believe there's an individual application uh, for all of this in our individual lives this morning. I want to speak this morning on the three servants in your life. There are three servants which God has given you to help you accomplish his purpose uh, in your life and in our world. And here Jesus speaks of one of them. He says, which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat. And properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you may eat and drink. And he does not thank the the servant because he does the things which were commanded to him. Does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded of you. Say, but we are unworthy servants and have done only that which we ought to have done. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word, which is life-giving and transformative. I pray that the power of the word would reach into the inner recesses of our heart. That the seed of the word would bring transformation and change this morning. And I ask that you would give us a divine perspective as to how we should live in these times. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We've been talking about reigning in life. And one of the aspects of someone who reigns is to have authority, and to have authority over uh, those who are in his charge. And So this morning I want to speak about three servants that God has put in your charge. And uh, if you will learn to use these three servants... They will become an asset in your life and they will become the uh, means by which you can see God accomplishing his divine purpose through your life. Every person in here this morning has an assignment from God, a purpose, a reason for your being here, a reason for your being on the earth at this time in this generation. And that reason, that purpose in the heart of God was there from before your birth. He says, I saw you in the womb. I knew you and I appointed you. And he's given into your life resources and abilities and uh, the things that you are, are going to need in order to accomplish that divine assignment and that divine purpose. And to, This morning, I want to speak about these three servants. I think they're applicable to every person here this morning. And I want to mention them to you and then we'll go through each one Individually, First of all, the first servant that God has given every single believer is their body. Your physical body was given to you by God as a servant for his divine purpose. We'll talk about that this morning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. The second servant that God has given to you is money and physical resources. We'll talk about that as well this morning because if you learn to manage this servant, it will become a blessing in your life. And three, your faith. And that's the one we've read about here in Luke chapter 17. Your faith has been given to you by God to accomplish His purpose 
in your life. If these three servants are working for you and working in your life, uh, you will uh, experience the fullness of the accomplishment of the things that God has for you in life. If you let these servants sit down or you let them become a, uh, a, 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 passer, a passive thing in your life, then you won't have all of the things that you need to take place in your life in order to fulfill the assignment which God gave to you. The Bible tells us that God is a mover. When we think about God, He is always moving. The, the book of Genesis begins with the Holy Spirit moving on the surface of the earth. And we, as you read through the, uh, the creation story, you read that God created the planets as, as they move and orbit uh, in the universe. He created these, uh, the beasts of the field that move. He created the animals or the creatures of the sea that move. He created man for movement. He created your body and your finances and your faith for movement. And the Bible says that faith without works is dead. And so this morning, if there's any area of inactivity in your spiritual life, I'm praying that you will become, uh, that you will become zealous for good works, passionate for fulfilling the purpose of God in your life, and that you will arise to put these servants to work uh, for the glory of God in your life. Let's speak first about this uh, servant of the, of the body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. He says, I discipline my body and I make it my slave. Now just focus on that for a minute. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I have made my body a servant. I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul is telling us here about the importance of using our body and uh, using it as a tool, uh, using it as a weapon, using it as a servant for the purpose of God in our life. He's talking about using our body uh, so that it can bring about the purpose of the Lord. Listen, we are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Our spirit is eternal. Our soul also is eternal. The body is temporal. And yet, without a body, your spirit and soul can accomplish nothing for God on the earth. David said it like this in the psalm. He said, uh, in, my, in the grave, my lips cannot praise you. So David recognized that outside of the body, we cannot accomplish any good for God. If we're going to do something for God, listen now, if you're going to do anything for God, it's got to be done while you're alive. Can I get an amen this morning? Uh, you don't have the time to wait for later. If you're going to serve God, you've got to serve Him now. If you're going to live for God, you've got to live for Him now. And Paul is here in, uh, uh, in uh, giving us this insight that the body has to be disciplined. It has to be brought into a place of servitude to the purpose of God for our life. Now, there are five things that have been mentioned that are uh, things that motivate or that, that put energy into the heart of a man. Now, I'll speak to men uh, briefly here this morning about these five things. There's the, the, the legacy. That's what you're going to leave behind when a man has a, a vision for what he's going to do for his family, what he's going to do for his community, there's a legacy, there's a vision, there's an activity, there's motion in his life. When a man lacks vision, when he lacks a dream, when he lacks a, a direction, then there is inactivity in his life. A man becomes uh, active when he begins to provide for his family, when he works, 
when he brings home the necessary provisions for the home life of the family. And the Bible says that a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. Physicality also makes a man move. You think that when, when you sit and become sedentary, your body also becomes sedentary. And uh, if we are not actively moving, whether it be uh, in our work or uh, through a workout or exercise or taking a run, your body is losing that uh, essential capacity to remain active and uh, mobile long into your life. And then uh, we see that sometimes men need a challenge. When there's a challenge in our life, it gets us up. It motiv- motivates us to move, to face it, to, to uh, become, uh, to become uh, a, a resistance to that challenge that's in our life. And then there's the, the, the natural world. When men get out into nature, they go camping, they go fishing. Something about being outdoors and, and being active in the world that God created, it motivates it and moves us. But we're seeing a sedentary society develop all around us. The other day I was driving through Beeville and something, I saw something that it, it surprised me, shouldn't have surprised me. I saw two boys running around the yard. And I, it, it caught me off guard because I hadn't seen children running in the yard. And I thought, you know, that's what it was like when I was a boy. We were always outside, always running, always active. What's going on now? We're sedentary. We're sitting on the couch. We're sitting in the office chair. We're sitting in the car. Now, I'm not getting any amens this morning, but I'm just going to keep preaching because, you see, Paul said, if you don't discipline your body, then you won't have a body with which to serve God. And Paul says, I don't want to preach to others and then get disqualified myself because I neglected my body, because I neglected this tool that God has put in my life. What are you moving toward this morning? What is your body uh, being used for this morning uh, other than just to house you until you die? Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to live until I die. I want to live every minute of every day until God calls, uh, calls me home. And here's the reality. Inactivity will turn a veteran into a novice. If you are a professional singer and you stop singing for 10 years, you'll go from being a veteran to a novice. Is the church here this morning? If you are an athlete and you stop working out, you stop training, you're going to go from a veteran to a novice. And what's important is for you and I to remember that God has called us from glory to glory. He hasn't called us to move backward. He's called us to move forward. Come on, is the church here this morning. I have sat with people who said, Pastor, I'm done. I'm ready to go home. And they've made up their mind that they're going to die and go to heaven. And they have. And it breaks my heart to see that. It breaks my heart to see that for them and for the family. That sometimes people get tired of life. They get tired of living. And I understand that sometimes we come to the end of the place which God has designated for us. But many people, I believe in the church, have died before their time. Because they have become immobile and they have, they have sat down when they needed to be running and walking toward the purpose and the calling of God for their life. Listen, your family needs you, mom and dad. Your family needs you alive. They need you healthy. They need you well. They need you sharp. They need you at your best. Come on, is the church here this morning? You and I can't give in to the culture around us. He says, I discipline my body and I make it my slave. And then he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. 
And he says, uh, he says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want, I want you to understand this, that physical exercise has limited potential. It has limited use. He says, uh, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. Here's what Paul says, Timothy. Now, I don't want you to memorize this scripture so you can use it as an excuse not to go work out this week. Okay? Say amen, everybody. All right? That's not what I want you to have this scripture for. I want you to understand. Paul says, look, there's a lot of benefit in having a body. Because if you don't have a body, you can't preach. You can't teach. You can't win souls. You can't parent your children. You can't provide for your family. Is there church here this morning? But there's something greater than physical discipline, and it's godliness, godly discipline. When you discipline your body and you say, you know what, I'm going to do godly things. I'm going to use my sexuality in a godly way. I'm going to use my appetite in a godly way. I'm going to use my words in a godly way. I'm going to use my hands and my feet in a godly way. Paul says this has a benefit in this life and in the life to come. You can make a difference for eternity. But only from right here. And today, while you're in the body, it's the most important decision you have to make. While you are in your human body, you need to make the decision to give your life to Christ. Because, friend, when you're out of the body, if you haven't made that decision, whatever decision you made for Christ will be permanent. And if you die without Jesus Christ as your Lord, you will die and go to an eternal hell without God. That's not Pastor Isaac's dogma or, or doctrine. That's the word of God. Now, no one is going to outlive eternity. And you're going to live for eternity somewhere. The Bible says today, while it is called today, right now, while you are living, there's an opportunity. Even if it's on a deathbed, if somebody's listening this morning on their deathbed, this is still an opportunity to say yes to Christ. To give your heart to Jesus. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth. That's the body, isn't it? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And that friend, that decision which you make here in time. Will have an impact for all eternity. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Amen. If you couldn't say amen, it's time for you to decide. It's time for you to say, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Now, our body is not just our physical body. It's also our mind. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You and I must make our mind, uh, which is part of our body, a servant to Christ. We must think the thoughts of God. We must think great thoughts toward God. You know, our minds are often wasted on little things. They're wasted on television shows that can provide nothing for you. Nobody's saying amen. They're wasted on social media updates that can do nothing for you. Listen, your mind was made for more than this. Or is it this? I don't know, which, whichever it is. Your mind was made, the Bible says, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are of good repute, Think on these things. And when you fill your mind with God and the greatness of God, possibility erupts in your heart and you start to realize, you know what? There is nothing I cannot do because the God I serve is a mighty God. He's a strong God. He's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a present God in my life. 
I'm not going to ask you how many books you've read this year. But you have to make your mind a slave. Because if you don't, then it will it will become a it will become a vet it will become a novice. And things you used to know, you won't know them anymore. Come on, is the church here this morning? I told you this sermon was going to be different. But it's very applicable. When I was in college, I had to read a book. It was called Fit Bodies, Fat Minds. It talks about the culture in America that we have a culture of fitness, but our minds are fat. Overweight minds. Eating too much mental sugar. Hearing too much ear candy. And friends, God is calling us up. He's calling us to think on the important things of our day. You see, the church of old, the, the churches of generations past used to be able to answer the difficult questions of the culture. Today, the church has to say, let me go ask the pastor. Let me see what he has to think about it. No, you need to think about it because this is your Christian life. This is your eternity we're talking about. This is God's word written to you. Come on, somebody. You're to honor God with all of your mind. When we do that, we make our mind available to God. It's amazing the things that can happen in our, in our life. There are songs that need to be written that come out of this church. There are books that need to be written that come out of this church. There are ideas that are going to transform our community. And businesses that are going to be born out of this church. And God has deposited them into your mind. He's given those ideas to you. And next time one of those big ideas comes by and, and lodges in your mind, don't say don't say to yourself, come on, Isaac, what are you thinking? That's way out of your league. You say, yes, Lord. I'm going to walk in the direction of that purpose until I see it fulfilled in my life. God is a mover and we must be moving. And this morning when I make the altar call, I want to pray specifically uh, for the first group of people I want to pray for. It's people who are having health issues or mobility issues because I believe it's God's will. For you to be healthy and for you to be whole. Can the church say amen? Amen. Come on, I believe it's God's will because he said by his stripes we were healed. If Jesus died on the cross for you to be healed and to be whole, then let's have all the healing and all the wholeness. And if you're well this morning, I'm going to pray for you and for myself that we would have the wisdom to say yes uh, to physical activity. Yes to the right kind of eating. Yes to the right kind of thinking. And, and so that we can control those things that are negative in our life and negative to our health. Because I want you to be around like many of the, many of the elders in our church. I spoke to one of the uh, members of our church who's in her 90s this morning. Right here in the house of God. Still standing on her own two feet. Still honoring God in her perfect mind. We look around and we see our elders who serve and minister in our church. And uh, they, they have not come anywhere near the retirement time. They're still serving God. They're still sharp. They're still preaching. They're still teaching. Come on somebody. I don't want to be. I don't want to be sitting at your bedside when you're 50. Saying well pastor I guess I did what I could. No. You've got to make your body a slave. And you got to start today. Alright. Is the church here this morning? Have I lost you? Have I lost you? Are you still with me? Am I still your pastor? Do you still love me? All right, good. Next one. Your money is a servant. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus told a story of a man who went off on a journey. Before he left, he left his money with servants. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, to another he gave one. And what did he say? He said, work with this until I come. You see, most people are working for money. You were not designed by God to work for money. You were designed by God to work for Him. For His purpose. Whether you're a carpenter, a baker, a a shoe salesman, a mechanic, a pastor, whatever your physical line of work is, you're not working for a paycheck. You're working to fulfill a divine assignment, divine purpose. When the carpenter uses his skill to build, he is fulfilling a divine design that God put in him, that God gave him. The Bible says that the anointing came upon Bethuselah that he might be the carpenter for the tabernacle. You can be in a secular field doing secular work and experience the anointing of God. And listen, if you are accounting, you're administering a business, you can have and you do need the anointing of God to do that job with excellence so that you can be, uh, so that you can be a witness to people of the power of God in your life. But you don't work for money. Money is the result of you fulfilling your divine assignment. It's the result of you fulfilling your purpose in life. And so, what do we work for? We work for purpose. We go to a job, we go to work in order to fulfill our purpose. And the resources come in the form of a salary or paycheck, uh, but many times in other ways as well. Here's the problem. The man went away and he put his money to work. Most people, instead of putting their money to work, are going to work for money. And God wants you to change your way of thinking this morning. And realize that every resource he gives you is for you to put it to work for his assignment in your life. He went away. One of the servants, after he came back, he said, Master, you gave me five talents. I brought you back ten. He doubled the money. He doubled the resource. He doubled the gift. And then the second came with two talents. He said, Master, I brought you two. And, uh, and two more. Now he has four. But the last one, he said, Master, I was afraid. Because I know you're a hard man. And you reap where you do not sow. And so I went and I hid your gift. I went and hid the resource you gave me. And I, I, I'm bringing it right back. You gave me one. I'm giving you one back. You've lost nothing. And listen to how he responded. He said, you wicked and evil slave. Jesus is serious about his money, guys. He said, you wicked and evil slave. You knew that I'm a hard man, that I reap where I do not sow, and, and that I always get a return. The least you could have done was put it in the bank and let it earn some interest and bring that back to me. But now I'm going to take away what you have, and I'm going to give it to the one who's been using what I have given him for the purpose uh, that I have assigned. Listen. This is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. It says, therefore, if you have been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, that's money, who will, in, uh, who will entrust to you true riches? If you have been unfaithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust to you true riches? Here's what Jesus is saying there. True riches is not money. Can I get an amen? True riches is not money. 
True riches is being able to have godly influence to bring other people to the knowledge of God and to see the glory of God. When God entrusts you with the ability to impact other people's lives for Him, now you can say you have true riches. But here's the proof. He says, I won't give you that level until you have learned to manage money. The church is real quiet. He says, if you're not going to manage unrighteous mammon, that's money, then how can I give you more? You see, if you're not going to put your money and your finances to work in order to accomplish the divine assignment for your life, then you are going to be working for money. Instead of money being your servant, you become its servant. When, when we look around in our culture, we see a nation that's in so much debt that every single American has one share of that debt that's over $250,000. That's your share of the, of the national debt in the United States. And you say, Pastor, I've never seen any of that money. And you never will. But that's how our culture lives. We live as servants to wealth rather than wealth being a servant to the body of Christ. And here's the purpose of wealth. I'll give you a few. Ecclesiastes 7.12. It says, wisdom is a shelter just as money. Money is a shelter. When God gives you money, when he gives you resources, whether it comes through a, a gift, an inheritance, a paycheck, whatever that is, when that resource comes into your life and you spend all of it in one month, you have nothing left over. You leave yourself no margin. You have no shelter. There's nothing to protect you against an emergency. And most people in the United States could not handle a $400 emergency. That's just the statistics. It's my desire. This is my hope. And I'm going to make it a goal. I don't know how, I'll, how I can emphasize this enough. But I want every person in this church to have at least baby step number one in financial peace which is a $1,000 emergency fund. Listen, here's what happens. When you don't have a margin in your life, when there's not a little bit of wiggle room, one flat tire can leave you stressed out and wondering, how am I going to make it this month? Come on, is the church here? Uh, one, one thing that goes out in your life, your dryer stops working, your refrigerator stops working, all of a sudden, one emergency puts you in a situation where you're stressing out, where you're having to beg for money, where you're having to go get a same, uh, same day or a, a paycheck loan or whatever they call that, and they're, they're, uh, they're signing you up to become a slave. Come on, is the church here? Instead, you should have margin in your life. And instead, instead of spending every dollar we make, we have to put away something every month. And when you do that, you, you create a margin in your life so that when these emergencies come, you say, you know what, I can handle it. And if it's bigger than what I have, God's going to handle it. But, but many times our health is deteriorating because of financial pressure. Marriages are falling apart because of financial pressure. And God says, wisdom is a shelter and so is money. And so you can't, you can't just discount the importance of having that resource in your life. And the Bible says that God shall supply all of my needs, Pastor. So I don't need any margin in your life. All I need is God. Well, you're not reading the whole Bible. Because God gave you wisdom. And he says, go and watch the ant. The ant works all summer. Coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. Why? Because the ant knows sooner or later... Winter will come. 
Sooner or later, you will have an emergency. Sooner or later, there will be a need in your life. And if you uh, have wisdom, you'll prepare for that, uh, that event at which will come sooner or later. Ecclesiastes 10, 19 says that money is the answer to everything. Now, I know you struggle to believe that's in the Bible, but it's in the Bible. Money is the answer to everything. Now, we know that Jesus is the answer. Say amen, somebody. But here's the thing. What's what's Solomon saying? He's saying money touches every area of life. If you want to preach, you got to drive somewhere to preach, you're going to need money, aren't you? If you're going to bake uh, some cookies to give to a family in need, you're going to need money, aren't you? If you're going to have a house to live in, you're going to need money. Everything we do in this life requires financial resources. And so it's important that you and I learn to make those resources our servant. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14, it says, All this time your abundance may be a supply for their need. Paul says to the Corinthian church, When you give your tithe and your offering, you are putting your money to work. To meet someone else's need. Listen, maybe you couldn't go to to Africa to deliver a shoebox to a child. But you sent your money. You sent your resources. Say amen, somebody. And with with less than $50 or so, you saved yourself a, a, a plane ticket and the time. And all of those things because you put your money to work for you. Come on, is the church here this morning? When you, uh, when you invest your money, you put your money to work for you. When you give to someone else, you're putting your money to work for you. You're giving God something to work with in your life. But when you and I don't manage this servant in our life, then we become its slave. And this morning I believe that God has sent me here to set you free. And to tell you you're a child of God. You weren't made to be a slave to mammon. You were made to rule over mammon. To be a a, a, a king in life. Finally, Deuteronomy 8, 18. The Bible tells us this. But remember that it is the Lord who gives you the power to make wealth. In order to confirm his covenant. Uh, which he swore to your fathers. When we receive financial resources we are receiving them as a confirmation of the covenant of God. And so we are participating with God in the advancement of the Christian faith. We're participating with God in the, in the winning of souls. And church, when you give, and you give so generously and so well, I'm so proud of this church because I go to many churches and, uh, and I've seen that most churches have less than 20% of their attendance, a giving or tithing to the church. But at Kingsway Church, we have an extraordinary percentage of people who are giving and tithing. You're making money your servant. And I believe that God is prospering you and will prosper you still more. Come on, somebody, because you're making it your servant. Come on, is the church here? You're confirming that there's a covenant in your life and that you know that this thing is bigger than me. It's bigger than what I want. It's bigger than my dreams and goals. There is a kingdom of God that I want to invest in, that I want to be a part of, that I want to sow into because I want to make a difference in this life and in the life to come. Come on, if you're with me, shout amen. All right, now let's get to the third servant. And this one's the one we read about here in Luke chapter 16. Jesus was asked a question. He was asked, 
Lord, increase our faith. Now, why did they ask this? Because it's kind of funny. He, he told them, if someone offends you, forgive them. And they said, how many times? And he said, 70 times 7. And they said, Lord, we're going to need more faith. Increase our faith. That's a lot. And so he starts to tell them a, a story. He uses one analogy of faith. He calls it a seed. And he says, well, you don't, you don't need an increase of faith. Because faith the size of a mustard seed will move a mountain. If you work it. Say amen, somebody. If you don't plant the seed, it won't grow. But if you plant it, it will grow. And then he gives them another, another analogy. And he says, that which of you has a slave or a servant? Now look at, look at how... Jesus describes the situation. He says, which of you having a servant who comes from the field, he's been plowing all day or tending sheep, when he gets home, he doesn't say to the servant, sit down here next to me, enjoy a glass of lemonade. No, instead he says, go into the kitchen and prepare dinner. Now, I know you guys don't treat your employees like this. Jesus has given us an analogy. And he says, and then he tells them, and have a shower and dress right, because I don't want you... Smelling at the table. And when I have finished eating and drinking and I'm satisfied, then you can go and you can eat and, and rest. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about your faith. He says someday you send out your faith and your faith goes to work for you. And when your faith comes back, he drags in a big old miracle. That he's been, that you've been working on through prayer and fasting and confessing the word. And you've been sowing and reaping. That faith is dragging in your miracle. And then your tendency is to say, all right, let's rest now. That, that was kind of hard. That was a big one. Let's take a break. But Jesus says, don't let your faith sit down. Don't let your faith take a break. You send it back out to do something else. Come on, church. Are you here this morning? God wants your faith working. He wants your faith moving. What does he say? Faith without works is dead. Being alone. So your faith has to always be working on something. Let's say that together. My faith must always be working on something. Here's the question. What's your faith working on right now? Well, I just want the Lord to bless me. Now, what's your faith working on right now? Are you working on a healing? Are you believing for financial breakthrough? Are you believing for a business to be born? Are you believing for a child to be saved? Are you believing for 10 souls to be one at Kingsway Church every week? What's the specific thing your faith is working on right now? If you don't know the answer to that, you've got to decide today. I'm not going to let my faith sit down. I've got to always have my faith working. Always have my faith uh, actively moving toward God. I cannot have a dead faith. You can't afford dead faith. Your family can't afford dead faith. Listen, it's not enough to just come and sit in church and hear sermons and get full of the word. You've got to work the word. And if you will work the word, it will work. Come on, somebody. The, the word will work if you work it. And if you don't work it, it won't work. And you know, there are a lot of jealous Christians, not here at Kingsway, but in other churches I have met some. And they look around and they say, oh, the Lord blesses them so well. And look at how he's, uh, look at what he's done for them. 
And look at all the answers to their prayers. And I guess I'm just a second-class citizen. I guess God just has his favorites. No, God doesn't have favorites. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. Here's the difference. It's the faith of the individual. If your faith isn't working on anything, then you can't expect anything. But if your faith isn't working, then you can expect miracles to come into your life. Come on, somebody. You, you and I have to be active in our faith. How is faith released? Faith is released with our mouth. He said, you will say to that mountain. Who will say? You will say. You will say to that mountain. So what are you saying? What's your faith doing right now? You know, the, this is very interesting. The Bible says Israel came out of Egypt and, and the first generation died in the wilderness. And this is exactly what God said to them. He said, you said you would die in the wilderness and so you shall. They got exactly what they said. And so if you're going around talking about how hard life is and how negative everything is and I'm not going to make it and I wish I wish I had more and I and on and on and on then you are acting like a slave and not like a child of the king and and I don't want you to die in the wilderness listen this pandemic was a wilderness and you don't have to die in it Listen, somebody, you don't have to die right here uh, wishing and waiting. You can stand up and recognize that in your words there is life. In your word there is hope. And you can say, I am going to make it because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am going to be healed. I am going to prosper. I am going to be a blessing. I am going to be the head and not the tail. I am going to go above and not beneath. I am blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I go in and I'm blessed when I come back out. Come on, is there a church in here that has the word of God in its mouth? Faith is released through believing prayer. When Christians pray, they release their faith. It's not the length of the prayer. It's not even the amount of the faith. It's you coming into alignment with God, in agreement with God. And saying, God, I believe what you've spoken. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Faith is released through acts of obedience. When God tells you to do something and you obey him, you are activating your faith. You're sitting in church one day. God says, you know that gas card you have in your wallet? I want you to give it to that couple over there. Say, God, do you know how high gas is right now? I need that gas card. He said, give it to them. And you activate your faith. And guess what? God's going to get make sure you have gas for the rest of this summer. Is the church here? Have you ever activated your faith like that? A man came home one day. He smelled his soup cooking. And he said, oh, that smells so good. You know this wasn't me, right? And, and his wife said, don't touch that. That's for somebody else. He said, what do you mean that's for somebody else? There's a family down the road. They're having some hard times. I'm taking them a pot of soup. What was she doing? She's activating her faith. Well, pastor, it's just chicken and celery and and cilantro and tortillas. No, it's faith actively working and saying, God, here's something you can work with. Come on, a widow had one last bread cake. She put it in God's hands and she and her household survived a famine. Come on, you've got to put your faith to work. You've got to activate your faith. And if it's sitting down, you're going to hurt. You're going to do without You're going to wonder why. 
But if your faith is active, you're going to see God showing up in your life. And I feel this burden this morning to tell some of you this morning, some of you have let your faith sit down, not because uh, because you were tired uh, or because your faith brought something in and, and you were tired, but because you sent out faith and you didn't get the result you expected because you got discouraged. He said, this believing thing doesn't work. And this morning, I'm not here to prove to you anything. I'm just here to tell you that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So get back up on your feet, send your faith out again, and watch and wait for God to do the impossible in your life. Come on, if you can believe, you will see the glory of God. Now, the the servant in this instance does three things. Notice with me. First of all, he comes from the field. The field is God's purpose. It's the kingdom of God. It's your ministry. Not everyone's field is the same. But this field is the kingdom of God. It's the assignment of God for your life. Your faith has to be working on your assignment. Your faith needs to be working on the calling of God for your life. And so, if you've been called to preach, you need to be preaching. Well, pastor, you haven't asked me to preach yet. Find somewhere to preach and preach. I started preaching on the back of a flatbed trailer. Preaching to the cows and the chickens. That's why I holler so much. You know, later in life, I discovered that little boy, seven, eight years old, preaching on the back of a flatbed trailer in the farm, won two men to Christ. One of them was my grandfather. He heard me preaching the gospel. He was backslidden. He gave his life to Christ. Another man was walking by. He decided to stop and lean on a tree to listen to this little boy. He gave his life to Christ. I didn't know that for 20 years. But I'm just here to tell you that if you will make a space for God to show up, God will show up in your life. You've got to activate your faith. Tell your neighbor, make room for God. He He was in the field. He's in his purpose. He's in his assignment. And the Bible says this, that when Jesus comes back, he's going to look to see if his servants are in the field, if they're in the place he assigned. And some of them are going to be in the retirement home. And he's going to say, what would you do with the gift I gave you? Well, I got offended because I brought toothpicks to the picnic and nobody recognized me. And nobody said thank you. And he's going to say, what? You gave up my gifts, my calling, my assignment because of somebody else? They didn't call you. I called you. I anointed you. I put you in the work. I brought you into the kingdom. Come on, somebody. You've got to get in the field. And and he comes back from the field. And then uh, we, we get a picture here. Of Abraham, because this field is God's purpose. Abraham was promised, listen, he was promised everything from the Euphrates River to the Nile. Israel never held that much land, but they will. Because God promised it to them. When Sarah died, Abraham didn't own a single square inch of land in the promised land. It was his by, by promise, but it wasn't his by possession. And so he goes and he tells the men of the community, he says, I need to buy a place to bury my wife. They said, Abraham, we'll give you any place you want. No, we we love your family. We honor you. You're respected in our community. And, uh, And he said, no, I can't have you give it to me. I need to buy it. And he paid 400 shekels. And almost all scholars agree that he paid an inflated price. 
He paid more than the land was worth. And maybe we would say, well, why did he do that? Why did he pay more than it was worth? Because you see, Abraham just needed to get on the land. He needed a title deed to something in the promised land. Because he knew this, if I can get the first acre, I'll get the rest. But I've got to possess the first step. I've got to take the first step. And sometimes the first step is the most expensive. It's the most demanding. And you might say, I don't have the strength and I don't have the money. And it's going to cost too much. And if you don't pay that initial price uh, that it takes to get on the promise, you won't get any of it. But if you'll say, God, there's nothing that's too expensive. I've got to get into the into the promise and the purpose that you've given to me. And when you step into it, you'll know this. It may look small right now, but sooner or later, my children are going to own the whole place. And guess who owns it now? Come on, the Jews are sitting on that land and they're prospering because the nation of Israel had a father who said, I've got to possess the field. Listen, Kingsway, don't you dare die without taking hold of the promise of God. Well, it's just a little piece. It's just a little bit. God's purpose is always multi-generational. It's always about more than just you. And I'm so glad that generations ago, there was a church named Monte del Olivar in, the, in that time. It had a different name. They were in Berkeley, Texas. And they realized, you know what, we've got to move to Beeville. And then they moved to Beeville and they realized, you know what, we've got to get out to 351. And they came and they brought, they bought this place with, with plenty of land to say, you know what, we've got to make sure the next generation has everything it needs to accomplish the purpose of God. And you and I cannot sleep on that. We have to say, we've got to make sure that the next generation generation has a church that's bigger and mightier than the one we have now. Come on, we've got to put our faith in the field. Is there a church in the house of God this morning? Then he sent him to the kitchen. He said, go prepare a meal. What is the kitchen? What is this meal? The meal is the word of God. God said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've got to send your work, your faith to work the word. You've got to send your faith to, to the scriptures. There are more than 7,000 promises in the Bible. You don't need to know all of them. You just need to know one of them. Whenever you have a need in your life, go find the promise. And stand on it. And work that promise. And work that principle. Until you see it manifesting in your life. The word of God is the bag of seed. It's a precious resource in the, in, the, in the life of the believer. And more and more Christians today don't know their Bible. This is why I'm encouraging you to come to church with your Bible. Your tangible, physical Bible. Your mind needs to know this is different from my phone. This is different from social media. This is different from, uh, from reading the newspaper. This is the sacred book. This is the word of God. And in it are, the, are contained the precious promises, which are God's provision for me. And all God wants is my yes and my amen to his word. And if the church will know the word, it can, it can work the word. But here's what Paul said. How will they know Unless someone preaches to them. And how will they preach? Unless someone sends them. You can't know unless you're taught. You can't know unless you've read. And you can't know unless you've invested in knowing the scriptures. And friend, if you will do that, it will change your life. And the life of your family. 
But you have to, you have to send your faith to work the word. And so when sickness comes, you say, God, the Bible says that by your stripes I'm healed. And I'm going to stand in that, in that promise of divine help. And I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to the doctors if I need to talk to them. But I'm going to stand on your promise. And I'm going to work the word in my life. Come on, somebody. If you have financial need, you say, God, your word says you'll provide all of my needs according to your riches and glory. You start to work these principles of the word of God. I can tell you they will work in your life. Finally, he sends him to the wardrobe. He sends him to the closet. He says, get dressed. What does this wardrobe represent? The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that we have been dressed with with garments or with robes of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10, he says, I greatly, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has wrapped me in robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom on the wedding day wears his priestly attire, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. How has God dressed the church? He's dressed us in robes of righteousness. He's dressed us in an identity that was not our own. We were outsiders. Now we're insiders. Come on, is the church here this morning? We were aliens. Now we're citizens. We were slaves. Now we are children of God. All this identity, you and I have to walk in it and let our faith walk in this identity of a child of God. You're not a slave. You don't have to talk to God as though he's mad at you, as though he's, he's uh, trying to get something out of you, as though, he, uh, as though he is hard to deal with. God, please, if you can, if you have time, uh, I just need a little miracle. I just need a little help. I just need, no, you come to God boldly. The Bible says we come boldly through the throne of grace. We come as children. Now, because children have access to their father. And the children walk in and they say, this is what I need. Because you said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Come on, God has not made you a slave. He's made you a son. He's given you all the rights and privileges of a child of God. And everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. The Bible says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. The prodigal came home. He had, left, he had left all of his inheritance in the streets, ruined and wasted. He said, I'm going to go home. In my father's house, even the slaves eat better than I'm eating right now. And they, they are, doing, are better off than I am. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask my father to make me a servant. Let me be a servant. And some misinterpret this to mean that the boy lost his sonship, and he became a servant in the house of his father. That's not at all what the Bible teaches us. It says that his father came and embraced him. He hugged him. Friend, the greatest, the sweetest garment God can ever give to you is when he embraces you, when he hugs you, he dresses you with himself. He says, you're my child. You're mine. And no, anybody that's going to get to you has to get through me first. Come on, somebody. If you, if you have known the love of God, you know that embrace. And this morning, God wants you to know that he has embraced you as his own, as his very own child. And then he said, he said, go and bring him a robe. Dress my son like a son, not a servant. And, and give him some shoes because he's not a slave. He's a child. Uh, he's a, a, a son. And put a signet ring on his finger. Give him back his authority and his influence. 
that boy represents you and I. We were outsiders. We had lost it all because of the, the sin of Adam. But Christ has made a, a robe of righteousness for you. He has dressed you as a child of the living God. He's brought many sons to glory. And this morning you and I are one of those sons. So when we stand before our Father, we don't stand as beggars with a tin cup. We stand as children with rights and privileges and the honors and the dignity of a child of God. And what does he say? Who shall bring any charge against my elect? Because God's declared you righteous. By faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus has washed away your sin. And God has declared you righteous. He's declared you to be innocent of all charges, holy and upright before God. So he says, who will lay any charge against my elect? Where is the one who condemns? He says, it is I who forgives. And it is I who justifies. And see, friend, when your faith knows that, Your faith goes to work. Some people, their faith doesn't work because they believe that God is mad at them. And why would a mad God help them at all? But when you understand that God loves you, God thought the world of you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He wants you to wear the robe of righteousness. He wants you to wear the signet ring of the name of Jesus. He wants you to walk into the throne room of God with your head high and your your shoulders square. And know that whatever you ask in his name will be given unto you. Because he said whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Come on. It's time to put your faith to work. As a child of God. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to first of all call any person in here this morning who's dealing with a physical challenge in your body, your physical body. It might be sickness. It might be other things going on. But whatever that is, I want you to come into this altar. Because I want you to leave today with the assurance that your body will serve the Lord. That is going to serve God's divine purpose in your life. Come on, if you need a touch of God on your body, would you come? Jesus is a healing Jesus. He's a healing Jesus. He's a doctor. He made your body. If you'd say, Pastor, I need a renewing in my mind. I need health in my mind. Would you come? I want to pray for you as well. I want peace in my mind. I want to honor God with my mind. Because you see, Jesus died on the cross. And on the cross, he took the crown of thorns upon his head. He bore your curse. He bore your stress. He bore your fear, your worry, your doubt, your anxiety. He bore it at the cross. There is a renewer of the mind in this place this morning. 
You say, Pastor, I need God to manifest himself in my finances. I want to walk in financial abundance. Would you come also? Just, just take that step into this altar to say, I want to honor God with my resources. I want to honor God with what he puts in my hands. Now, the rest of you, I'd call you like this. If you say, Pastor, there's an area of my life where I need my faith to go to work. Come on, let's get out and let's get into this altar. Put your faith to work. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven. God has poured out revelation on us this morning about this fact. He wants you whole. He wants you to prosper. He wants you moving mountains with your faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come now in the authority of the great name of Jesus. And I ask you to manifest divine healing on behalf of the sick. Those who are struggling with, the, with immobility. Those who have any form of physical ailment in their body. We receive divine healing now in Jesus' name. We lay claim to your promise. You said you sent your word and you healed all of their diseases. God, this year alone, we've seen you raise people out of deathbeds. We've seen you bring people out of the very clutches of disaster. And today we stand as your children to believe that you can do it for them too. We receive by faith. The healing virtue of Christ. I speak to every spirit of infirmity. Loose God's property now. And let it go. These bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Father, I speak peace to the mind. Where there is anxiety, I command it to leave now. In Jesus' name. There is no fear in love. And I command it to be replaced with love right now. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for revelation to come. Let revelation come as to why certain things are happening in their life. And let them be free from it tonight, by today, by revelation in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for this church that they would walk in, in health and in healing. They are the head and not the tail. They will go above and not beneath. I bless their finances in the name of Jesus. You said you would give seed to the sower. And this is a sowing church. This is a tithing church. And we stand on that promise this morning. We receive financial breakthrough. Not for ourselves, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. For the advancement of the Christian faith. That there may be a bold witness in our community. That Jesus is Lord. Father, I pray this morning. That faith would rise up. That dormant faith. That sleeping faith. That dead faith. Wake up now in Jesus name. Come on put your faith to work. Open your mouth. Begin to pray out loud. Release your faith by believing prayer. In the name of Jesus.